Libros Schmibros is a podcast exploring the people, books, movies, and ideas that Angelinos care about in a thoughtful way that even New Yorkers can understand. We're coming to you from Libros Schmibros, our nonprofit bilingual lending library in Boyle Heights, on the west coast of the country and the east bank of the mighty Los Angeles River. Hi, I'm Colleen Jurecci co-founder of Libro Schmibros, and today I'm going to talk to Alexa Karolinski, one of the writer and producers of the Netflix series Unorthodox. So, um, Alexa, I'm so happy to be talking to you about Unorthodox. It was an incredible series. I was on the edge of my seat. It was tense. It was fascinating. It was educational. It was filled with um, so much human stuff. Um, and so I have a ton of questions for you. Um, but I guess the first question is, how did you, what, what, how did you decide to do this? How did you come to know about Deborah Feldman's book, Unorthodox, The Scandalous Rejection of My Hasidic Roots? Well, uh, I came, well, you know, Deborah Feldman lives in Berlin. She comes to, she came to Berlin in a very different way than we invented for Esty, because I do need to say that a lot of the show is invented. It's, yeah. it's officially inspired by the book. Um, and um, uh, Anna Winger, who I created the show with, um, gave me her book because Deborah and her send their kids to the same American high school in Berlin. Oh. And Anna and I were in the talks um, about working together kind of on a different project. And, you know, within our many conversations, Anna's from Massachusetts and lives in Berlin. I'm from Berlin and I live in LA. We're both Jewish. We kind of switch places in this way. And that's a lot of what we talk about. And, um, Unorthodox kind of, you know, made its way into our conversations because I was really fascinated with um, the story and also that Deborah chose of all places to settle down in Berlin. And um, I have to say it's garbage day here in Hollywood. So excuse, that's like the nature of these kinds of Zoom conversations of course, that the yeah. outside world comes in. Um, anyway, yeah, so... Um, we met Deborah and became friends, and um, that's how the journey began. That's really a fascinating story. There's so many biographical overlaps and geographical ones, and and um, so with the book, what what did you? I saw okay, I saw the the um, documentary about the making of the show, mm -hmm. and it in it you and Anna talk about the need to protect Deborah's privacy around her Berlin life. So that this is really sort of a dual project of adaptation. You're adapting biography or memoir, I suppose, and then you're creating um, fresh imaginative work. And so what was that like to sort of toggle between those two um, forms of writing as you put this together? Yeah. Well, it never really felt like two different forms of writing. It was always really about like, what show do we want to make? Yeah. And, um, you know, part of it was protecting Deborah's privacy. You know, she, her and I are the same age. And of everything that I've learned about Deborah and every other ex-hosted we worked with, like the, the journey of transitioning out of that life 
is a long one yeah. and it's one of change and finding yourself and you know um Essie's story in our show is really only over the course of a week right like we backflash into the past but you know leaving and landing in Berlin is a couple of days and surely Essie's journey like everyone's journey will will develop and but to come back to your question you know for us it was never really about two different things it was about what do we want to make and what do we feel we need to change in order to tell to 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 decide what we want to make and and there were some very big changes that happened early on which is you know the first thing that any filmmaker or writer um needs to confront when adapting a memoir or any book but mainly a memoir is that you need to externalize the character because of course you're in someone's head and if you filmed exactly what you read then you'd always have like a silent heroine watching the world right so how do you go about doing that what's the what are the what are the things you do as a writer to well, create yeah. that that filmic experience that we need well, the first thing is you know who is this person and you almost need to reinvent the person because it's uh you know you can have somebody very quiet have very big thoughts that work on a book just thinking of other characters and uh plots right um so for example um Esty's husband, Yankee, right? Right. Um, is, is not as, a, we decided very early on, we wanted to make him a full character, like somebody who's on his own journey and who in his way also has to reckon with where he's from in his own way. That is very different in the book, you know? Um, the book really is about Deborah's life, you know? And we decided very early on we were going to focus on their marriage as the main entrance point to Hasidic life. You know, the book has, has her whole life, the childhood, everything. And we were toying with that for a very long time. But in a way, when it was clear we we're going to do four episodes as a limited series, we just thought, you know, it makes sense to tell her marriage journey you know, and not the rest. The other thing is we wanted to make this show in Berlin and we wanted to bring her to Berlin, not over the course of the seven years it took in reality for her to get here, but like to kind of have that be an engine of escape, you know, like Moisha is a completely invented character. It's a wonderful um, character. He's a fabulous invention. As is everything else, um, I'm, again, we're having some technical stuff. I'm not sure if you can hear me, so I'm going to pause. I can hear you. Oh, you can. Well, you know, okay. Thing, yeah, I can hear you. Well, you know, the thing is, like, in the book, Deborah writes about this community from her perspective, but it was very important for us to make a show that's not about the Satmar community as much as it is about Essie's journey. Yeah. So it's really about condensing a lot of different people that exist in the book or different stories to get the essence of that, but to tell it in a way that works and is understandable and is not over the course of 19 years but over the course of really only a year or two plus like that week she leaves and you know um the many friends and people she meets over the course of her life we condense it into her family members you know mm -hmm. um i feel like that is very typical adaptation 
adaptation stuff, you know, is, is like that you can't, um, many people become one character or, you know, Moishas as a character, he, he doesn't exist in the book, but having, having met many people from that community who still exist in that community, it becomes, it becomes very clear, very quickly, like the gray area that it's, not just about being in or out of that community, but that all these people live on the sidelines and can't really negotiate if they're in or out. And that was really interesting. So it was really important to invent Moisha. To me, Moisha is not, you know, a villain. He, I mean, he of course chases her. We don't want her to, him to catch up to her. He is, you know, but he's really complicated and he's actually really tragic because he can't um, live in either worlds, you know? Um, and I, I agree. I found myself feeling tremendous empathy for him at the end. I mean, I didn't want her to get caught, and it was very scary when she does. And I don't want to give away too much to people who haven't had a chance to, to see the yeah, series. Of course. I want everybody to go see the series. But, but um, uh, at the end, you, you feel for him. Um, and it's, of course, a surprise ending, which I will not give away. And, um, and, and there again, he, I thought, performed it beautifully, but it was beautifully written. And, and I thought the telescoping of her experience into the one week was beautifully done. Um, and I'm curious about placing her in the music conservatory. Um, I'm guessing that that's not in Feldman's book. And I, what inspired that as her trajectory. Right. No, I mean, in Feldman's book, just like we know her, Deborah Feldman wants to be a writer. And her secret is not going to get piano lessons. Her secret is sneaking to the library. And it's, it's, it. it's a really beautiful, I mean, I really highly recommend reading the book. There's absolutely nothing um, that it, it, they complement each other, really, because they're also very different. Um, but the essence, the universality of wanting to live a different life is yeah. what they have in common. But yeah, and 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 I mean, it's funny. Deborah's our friend, and Deborah was not involved. We felt. Um, a lot of responsibility to tell her story in a way that could honor her, but we wanted to change a lot of stuff. So I remember every time before we had dinner, very nervous, like, okay, today we need to tell Deborah she won't be a writer. She's going to be. <laughs> She's become a musician. So Alexa, among the most fascinating elements of the film is Estes sex education. And I know that this isn't meant to be a funny series, but this is a really funny part of it. And so I wonder um, if you could tell me a little bit whether this was in the book, uh, whether this was part of that process of invention uh, or reinvention of the character and how you got it just right. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I have to say most of the Hasidic stuff is not invented. Okay. Um, the only parts that are invented in the Hasidic part of the show is really to, you know, plant certain plot seeds and stuff, right? Like obviously her leaving and her fleeing and the way she does is invented. So scenes that revolve around that are invented. But in terms of the marriage and everything leading up to the marriage, it's almost exactly like in the book so 
the sex ed stuff is is i mean the the writing is a little bit different and we just because um again we had to externalize her thoughts and there's this very specific you know this is where i work really closely with ellie rosen our yiddish consultant and coach and translator and also like he's ex-hasidic so about the types of words they would and wouldn't use and it's one of those scenes that has like the orthodox world uh, arguing about if this is realistic or not but it's interesting because a lot of some of the ex-hasids who we worked with say that in reality they're probably like people get even less information wow so that's amazing yeah so yeah. um but the but it is from the book like the kind of props and finding whole her vagina like that's <laughs> all from the book and of course michael bernbaum who plays the the kala teacher is incredible and oh she's amazing she's yeah, she's, she's really amazing she yeah. was a very lucky find your whole cast is a, is amazing um now were you deeply involved in the casting or how did this happen yeah so, um, yeah, you know, the show was only created by Anna and myself and Maria was really, our director was really involved in the casting. Um, for us, we were kind of like limitations is how certain things happen. You know, this was a German production, but it was really important for me, at least, that our Hasidic characters be played by real Jews, so to yeah, say. Sure. And as many Yiddish speakers as possible, or people who sh display a kind of talent in being able to like play the lines. Both Shira and Amit, who play Estin Yanki, did not speak a word of Yiddish. But um, we cast, we 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 saw as many Yiddish speakers or people who could act in Yiddish as possible. Michal Birnbaum, by the way, who plays a Kala teacher, being one of them, and. Um, but of course, you know, we didn't have the budget to, to cast, you know, famous people or anything like that, which I think played in, into our, into, uh, you know, into our favor in a way. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the places we started was the Yiddish theater, the Yiddish rep in New York. Um, and then like kind of the world of the people they know. And, um, you know, that's how that part kind of, developed and then it was equally important for our berlin cast to be actually diverse so um that casting happened in berlin i thought they were all wonderful i thought that it was beautifully cast and and it you know every every element of this i think came together just great um you mentioned that some of the review some of the orthodox press has taken issue with certain representations um, have you, how's that been for you? How have you felt about that? Actually, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, I was really prepared for, um, like something way worse and it hasn't happened to be honest. Like there are the people who come out, I mean, honestly, mostly, um, older Jewish men, to be honest. Okay. Who, who've written the most scathing articles. I almost wear that as a badge of honor. I, you know, it's interesting about like when there's critique, like what is the critique about and like what I accept because it's like, maybe they don't like the plot or the story or this, you know, that's normal. Not everybody yeah. likes, needs to love the show, but 
no, no show about Hasidic Jews or ultra-Orthodox Jews has ever been, in my opinion, or like actually like the majority's opinion, this authentic. Like we really tried our best. And I have to say, we went at it like very open-minded and tried to just get it as much right as possible within our means. And so um, when we, when we, when we, decided to forgo authenticity for plot reasons or for budget reasons or whatever. We did it as part of a conversation. And um, these decisions never happened in a vacuum. They happened with advisors and, you know, and so I don't know, I'm okay with, um, I'm okay with criticism. Yeah. No, well, I feel we are comfortable with it because most of the decisions happen very consciously you know so I feel like it's always bad when things when 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 decisions are made out of ignorance and then you need to apologize because people didn't think but um, I feel like our decisions just didn't happen that way yeah no it's it's part of the crafting of the whole yeah works so harmoniously so that's and that's where that's where the movie magic happens anyway <laughs> um, so um, I have a question. So this film is partially set in Williamsburg, which is, um, of course, in Brooklyn. And, and in addition to tragically being ground zero, of course, for coronavirus, uh, but like our Boyle Heights is also a community that's kind of ground zero for national attention to gentrification and so forth. Mm -hmm. In the making of this film, um, were um, community members, um, vocal about the impact of that social force on the Satmar community or how is that playing out? Well, of course, COVID was not a thing yet when we right. made this show. So right. that was not a, a topic. Sure. I mean, I, I have to say that our show, we shot it mostly in Berlin. All the right. interiors are in Berlin and we shot in New York, um, for like two and a half days, three days, and just the exteriors. I think it would have been a very different experience, if not an impossible experience, if we had decided to shoot the show in Williamsburg over the course of the summer. I think we could have never. Um, it, you know, the community would have probably shut us down. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, but, you know, and of course, most people we dealt with are people who've left the community or people who secretly talked with us. Um, sure. So there's no such thing as an open dialogue. Like I remember, you know, the Shrimal hats, the big fur hats that, this, that um, a lot of Hasidic Jews wear on Shabbat. Um, they're very expensive. And I just remember when we were still kind of thinking about how to make this show, I went with our costume designer and our advisor to a Strymal, to the Strymal shop. And they were like, we're not selling you anything. Like we would not, even if you gave us three times the amount of money for one of these, we're not, because we're not giving these to a, a film production, you know? Wow. wow. And, and, and it, it, so we made them all fake and which was great because it also meant we didn't, you know, have, you know, no, no minks were killed. <laughs> we're killed in the making of this film. <laughs> making of this production, right? Um, right? But 
it became very clear to us that this will not be made. You know, the, the Satmar community is so small. I like it's big, but it's so um, it's so inclusive. I mean, they don't have a lot of people don't have smartphones. Like. Yeah. They're not allowed to watch this show. I feel like the dialogue with uh, Hasids would be other Hasidic communities or sects or whatever you want to call it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's largely been um, insulated from the uh, not only the, the the series but any wider. Yeah. Yeah. Any other? Well, yes and no. It's a little bit different than Boyle Heights because. Um, of course, you know much more about Boyle Heights than I do, but you know, the thing about Williams Hasidic part, the Hasidic part of Williamsburg yeah. is that a lot of the real estate is owned by Hasidic Jews as well. Okay. So that's an enormous so, difference. Yeah. Yeah. So they can't be bought out in the Got same it. way. So the so, impact is not the, it's, it's exactly it's completely different. All right. It's very different. Plus they have legitimate political power. So, um, it, that's also very different, right? Yeah. So um, it's it's incomparable to like a community of color in Los Angeles that's being affected by gentrification. Yeah. This is very different. Like, I feel like what's comparable, like the outside world coming in, is that of course, like above this part of Williamsburg is like the younger, you know, Williamsburg of creatives and whatnot, and underneath this part of Williamsburg is Fort Greene, and I mean it's kind of all around our other types of people. And I remember when I was living in New York, they were paving the the, the bicycle paths through Hasidic Williamsburg, and um, you know all us young people like cycling through in the summer in skirts and tank tops, and the bicycle lanes were being destroyed. Like they didn't, they don't want like they don't want the outside world coming in and they put all their resources towards that not happening, you know? Okay. You can't avoid it completely, but I mean, they've been successful in it. Um, very, so a very interesting and different story as you- Yeah, as it's you. very, very different. Okay. So, um, so do you have your eye on another project? Yeah, I'm kind of planting the seeds for a couple of things right now, but it's really unclear yet where which direction it's going to go. Okay. Um, because of COVID, because I have like yeah. twin infants, and <laughs> I kind of gave myself until the launch of Unorthodox to not stress myself out too much about a next project. But I have a, a couple of ideas and things, but not far along enough to, to you know... There, everything can still go away, so it's got too it. Early. Are these book adaptations yet, or Partially. can you share that? Okay, yeah, okay. I really um. enjoyed the book adaptation as a. I I think it's fun. Um, it obviously depends on who you work with as an author. Like with Deborah, I feel like we just lucked out because we she let us do whatever we wanted, and I don't know what it would be like if it, that wasn't the case. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. And boy, did you do it well. So I am, can't wait to see what your next project or two are going to be. We'll <laughs> and um, I think you're very wise to give yourself a breather and enjoy your new family and just sort of uh, think and, and let this, you know, period of, of uh, cocooning that we're all in uh, nurture you and, yeah, and thank you. nurture those thoughts for you. 
So thank um, you. You're well, so I've welcome. Been a fan of Libros Schmibros, and <laughs> I hope you guys can open up again soon. Why, thank you. We hope so too. Thank you. Thank you. We hope so too. We hope at least that we'll be able to resume our curbside Libros shortly. Um, and we'll follow the, the, you know, guidance around when we should open the doors and invite the public on in again. Yeah. And I hope that that's, um, for everybody's sake, that would be good news because it means that a lot of, uh, that there's been some, some technical innovation and we've got some, um, some real, you know, therapies on board and so forth. So yes, um, I'm with you on that. <laughs> so Alexa, thank you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you and i wish you a wonderful happy afternoon thank you you too bye okay. bye so ends another episode of libro schmibros recorded at the bilingual nonprofit libro schmibros lending library in boyle heights by all means follow us online in all the old familiar places or email us via info at libroschmibros.org by the way, we couldn't do this podcast without the whole Libros team, Quatemoc, Colleen, Diana, and Alberto. And all of them would kill me if I didn't add this. Please consider visiting LibrosMibros.org, hitting the donut button, <laughs> the donate button, and giving us a gift. We put good free books into people's hands five days a week here at Libros, right across from Mariachi Plaza, up in the old Boyle Hotel. I'm David Kippen, and there'll always be a free book for you and thousands more to borrow here at Libro Schmibros.